0: to park valley church's sermon of the week it doesn't matter if you have been a christ follower for years or new to the christian faith you have come to the right place listen in as one of our campus pastors shares how to apply biblical truth in a tangible way as you listen we pray you have an encounter with jesus that leads to real and lasting life change thank you thank you how's everybody doing good i like that you guys are clapping It's like rainy and yucky. I was out there thinking it's too easy this morning to take those covers and just put them on up. Put them on up. (laughs) But thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. So the Bible is a collection of 66 books written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years. And we get the Old Testament from the Jews. And we get the New Testament from the Apostles. Or a couple of guys that were really close to the Apostles. And, but actually God's the author. So, I mean, he used people to write, you know, these books down, but he really is the author. That's why we call it the word of God. And every time you read the word of God, you get a glimpse into the mind of God. So think about how valuable the Bible is. It's that valuable. It's literally the word of God. So when you're reading it, you're reading what God, you're reading his word. You know, you're getting a glimpse, like I said, into the the mind of God. Peter said it so incredibly well. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he said this. He said, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. So none of the Bible, none of Scripture comes from just people. It wasn't their knowledge that, that they, they were writing. Verse 21 says, Or from human initiative. It wasn't even their idea. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit... And they spoke from God. So, you know, we know that this Bible that we have is literally the word of God. Matthew Henry, who's an old commentator, uh, genius, uh, wrote this. He said, the Christian knows that book to be the word of God in which he tastes a sweetness and feels a power and sees a glory truly divine. I thought, wow, what a powerful statement about how we view God's Word. It's literally a miracle that we have the Word of God. It's a miracle that we have His Word. And inside the Bible, God basically tells us everything that He wants us to know about our lives. He didn't just make us and say, good luck, hope you make it. No, He made us, and then He gave us a roadmap. He gave us a pathway. He gave us instructions on how to live our lives and and what to do with our lives. And the crazy thing about it is this. Just because you don't read it doesn't mean you're absolved from doing and responsible for what it says. Just because you don't read it. You're still responsible for living according to that book because you're going to give an account for your life. There's coming a day when you'll stand before God and God's going to say, I gave you the road map. And you can't say, I never picked up a copy. Okay. That's why there are so many people that are so dedicated with their entire lives to translating the Bible into languages that it's not been translated into yet so that people everywhere can fulfill the responsibilities that are, lo- that are, that are you know in that book for our lives. Because we're all going to stand before God and, and it doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter where you live on the planet. And so uh, it, it's, it's a really, really big deal. So what I wanted to do was basically just look at Romans chapter 12, really just kind of the first verse, Romans 12, 1. And in Romans chapter 12, or understand in the book of Romans that this is a letter to Roman Christians. So the people that are getting this letter, they're all saved people. These are all believers. These are all people that are born again. And kind of what he's trying to do, I think, in Romans 12 is he's trying to say, look, in light of everything that I just said in the first 11 chapters, which is really, really heavy on doctrine heavy on doctrine, I want you to know that all of that heavy doctrine that I gave you in the first 11 chapters translates into a changed life. It translates into something very, very practical with your life. And that's where he starts to get extremely practical is in Romans chapter 12. And it's almost like what he's trying to say is, is there are people that can be at peace with God And still not be experiencing the peace of God on a regular basis every single day of their lives. You know, if I'm saved, I know for a fact that because of the blood of Christ, I've been washed clean. I now have peace with God. I am no longer, like it says in the King James, at enmity with God. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm now at peace with God. The problem is there are times when my relationship with him can grow cold. And I can get farther and farther away from him. And I can get very, very distant from him. And you know what it's like because it happens in other relationships you have. Right? You stop talking to someone. You stop communicating with someone and see what that does with your relationship. It's not good. Right? You have to have communication. Like in a marriage. You know, get to a place in your life where you feel like that other person has wronged you or harmed you or hurt you or offended you. What happens? The relationship suffers. As a result of it, it's the same thing when it comes to you know somebody who gets too busy for a relationship, or somebody who chooses other relationships. I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm going to be with them, you know, you know, or whatever. It's not good for a relationship. And I'm saying, a lot of these things happen when it comes to our relationship with God. How many times have you stopped communicating with God? How many times have you gotten to the point where you felt like God hurt you or wronged you or harmed you, and you've said, how dare you, God? How dare you let this happen in my life? Now, all of a sudden, you're like, I don't want anything to do with him. He hurt me. He allowed something into my life that was awful. You know, same thing with being too busy with God or choosing other relationships rather than God. And you get to the place where you're like, I can't remember the last time I read my Bible. I'm not praying like I used to. I'm not serving anybody anymore. I actually think that I don't have any more faith. My faith is like gone, you know. And I told you the story about a friend of mine in high school that basically uh, texted or not texted me, emailed me and said, Hey, my son went away to college and came back and uh, doesn't believe in God anymore. Like, okay, that's not good, you know. And then I, we, we went into that foundation that they have laid in their lives as being something that's, you know, Lord willing. They're going to, of course, he's willing that they're going to return back to. You. All I'm saying is, this you can know God and be saved. And which, by the way, when you're, I'll just say this. Once a person accepts Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, they're always saved. There's a lot of people that believe, well, I accepted Christ. I prayed and accepted Christ as my Savior. And then... I sinned, so I lost it. So I had to pray and receive Christ as my Savior. And then I went and I sinned again. I have to do it again. I prayed it again. I'm so glad Pastor Barry does that prayer all the time because I'm sinning all week long. <laughs> I'm getting resaved every week. You know, or whatever. I'm just saying, there's, it's interesting because the chapter right before chapter 12 is 11, obviously, but Romans 11:29. 29 This is literally what he says. I didn't put it in your notes, but Romans, you might want to write this down. Romans eleven twenty nine says, For the gifts, for the gifts, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. What's the greatest gift that God gives? Salvation, eternal life. For the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It says in Romans chapter eleven and verse number twenty nine that the gifts of God will never be withdrawn. So when he makes you a part of his family, I mean, how many times have you ever looked at your kid and said this? Get a C on your math test, and we're putting you up for adoption. (laughs) Who's ever said that? No one. That's going to be your child, even if he gets an F. Okay, so all, all I'm saying is, is once you become a part of the family of God, you know, once you're saved, once you've believed in Jesus then needless to say, that, that never ever changes. But you can definitely walk away from Him to the standpoint of where that relationship is not what it should be. You know, where that relationship gets very, very cold. And, you know, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1 says so much. Look at, look at the verse. It says this, I beseech you. When he says, I beseech you, it's like he says, I beg you. And if somebody's begging somebody for something, what kind of a situation are you in when somebody is begging you? Does anybody sitting at the table say, I beg you to pass the salt. I'm begging you, please give me the salt. No one says that. Doesn't merit that. If you're begging somebody for something, this is a very serious thing. So, This is the God of the universe begging us. I beseech you, therefore, therefore, in light of everything I said in the first 11 chapters, I give you a doctrinal download. Then he says, brethren, you guys are family. You're saved. Once saved, always saved. Then he says, by the mercies of God. I love that because that's past tense. It's not like God is saying, I'm putting this carrot in front of you. Here's a carrot. If you follow me and get back in the relationship, you get this carrot. He's not saying that. He's saying in light of the fact of all that I've done for you in the past. Here's what he's saying. Open your eyes. Open your eyes and see how good I've been to you. Open your eyes and see how faithful I've been to you. I'm not dangling anything in front of you. I'm not coaxing you into anything. Look in the past. I've already blessed you more than you could ever be blessed in your life. I'm saying in light of all that I've done in your past. You need to present. The word present means to yield. And anytime you think of yielding, you think of a choice. You're making a choice, it's a decision. Come to a stop sign. What do you do? You stop. Doesn't mean look around and go through it, it means stop. Come to a yield sign. What do you do? Well, it depends. You yield, exactly. You <laughs> yield. And yielding basically means I may slow down, I may stop, I may speed up, I may whatever. I have to make a decision. And literally, what happens is, is this God is saying, I want you to choose this. I want you to choose to be close to me, choose to have a good relationship with me, an intimate relationship with me. And how do you do that? I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice for me. A sacrifice is a surrender. And when you, anytime you surrender to God, it's holy. Anytime you surrender to God, it's acceptable. And please know this. God is saying, I'm not being unreasonable. This is a reasonable thing I'm asking you to do. He literally goes on to say, which is your reasonable service. That word service is duty. It means a divine duty. Literally, it's latreia, which I'm butchering in the pronunciation. But it's a Greek word that refers to a priestly service. Now that you literally are a priest, you have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, you now have a duty. And the duty that is, is to, to present a sacrifice, but not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and not an animal, but you and your body. So three things this morning. Number one, God loves you enough to beg you. God loves you enough to beg you to do this. And to be honest with you, um, you can take that verse and put it in the first person, I God, beseech I'm begging you, Barry. In light of all that I've already done for you and given you in the first eleven chapters, because your family, because of all that I've done for you, all the mercies I've given you, I'm wanting you to make a choice to give me your body, literally give me your body as a as a as a as a sacrifice, and and surrender it to me. That's holy to me. That's acceptable to me. I would never give you a task that's unreasonable ever. This actually is your duty. Because of your position, you know, in in Christ. And so you can look at it all first person. This is literally God through Paul. But God is looking at Barry and saying, Barry, I'm begging you. Almost like a parent would look at a child and say, I'm a lot older than you. I know what I'm doing. And And the kid's looking at the parent going, you're dumb. You're stupid. You don't know anything. You know? And as a parent, you're going... I want to shake you. I'd like to shake you right now. Because I know exactly what the direction you're going, and it's disaster. Because I'm old. And I did the same thing you did. You know, or whatever. So you're speaking from experience, but you're also speaking from a standpoint of, you know, you don't have a dog in the fight, you know, other than you just want the best for that kid. You know, and so that's kind of the the vantage point of this. And so all I do is I read that and I say, I don't even know why God gives me the time of day. Because I'm so insignificant. I'm so small. I'm so little. And there was another person that had the same exact thought. His name was David. David was the king of Israel, the greatest king that Israel ever had. He fought Goliath. He was a cyborg. The guy was amazing. In Psalm 8 and verse 3, this is what David said, when I consider your heaven's The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've ordained. He says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? How do you even think of me? You made the universe. And the way I always look at it is this not always, I guess, but if I was standing in the parking lot and there was a drone over top of me and there was a little camera focused right on me and I was going like this in the drone, but the drone had the ability to go into space. So it kept going up. And the next thing you know, you would see this little speck in the parking lot. The next thing you know, you would see Prince William County. Next thing you know, you would start to see Virginia. The next thing you know, you'd see the East Coast. Next thing you know, you'd see the Atlantic Ocean. Next thing you know, you'd see the continental United States. Next thing you know, you'd see the Pacific Ocean. Next thing you know, you'd see the contour of the the world. Now the question is this, now how clear am I? By the time you're in space, how clear am I? I'm still going like this. Problem is, you're not going to see me. I'm so small. I'm so insignificant. And the world is so large. So I'm such a small speck on the world. And yet the speck is a speck. And yet the world is such a small little itty bitty speck in our solar system. And yet our solar system is such such a small little itty bitty speck in our galaxy. And yet our galaxy is such a small little itty bitty speck in our universe. Now how clear am I? Why in the world does he even care about me? Why does he even have one thought of me? Why would he even love me? How could he even know me? I don't get it. All I know is the word mindful in the Hebrew is zakar. And zakar means this. To make for the purpose of remembering. God made me for the purpose of remembering me. How important is it to remember somebody? I don't know. Ask yourself how bad is it when you forget? Ever forgot an anniversary? (laughs) Ever forgot a birthday? How about when you remember an anniversary, how does that make someone feel? Pretty good. You know? And you're like, and people are like, stop talking about that, Barry. Stop talking about that. I forgot my anniversary. (coughs) You know, or whatever. All I'm saying is this. There were three very identical and yet extremely powerful prayers in the Bible. Hannah wanted a child. And so she fell on her face before God and she poured out her, just cried and, and was begging God. And she said, Lord, remember me. And God remembered her and gave her a son. And her, her son's name was Samuel. And then there was a guy by the name of Samson who had been, his hair was cut, he had disobeyed God, he was overcome by his enemies. Now they were bringing him out to make fun of him in their temple. And they put him and chained him by the two main pillars that support it. And Samson, with no eyes, completely being overcome by the Philistines, prayed a simple prayer. He said this, Lord, remember me. Remember me. God gave him strength. He was able to do, have more of a victory at that moment than ever in his whole life And then there was a thief on a cross right next to Jesus that looks at Jesus and says these words, remember me when you're entering into your kingdom. And Jesus replies and says, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I'm telling you right now, God's got a good memory. And he made you to remember you. And he wants to have a close relationship with you. And it's your choice. It's your choice. You're as close to God as you choose to be. Because he never moves, other than pursuing you and running after you. And I think, you know, it's just amazing at how, how, how magnificent and how amazing God is. I saw, you know, how he treats us as kids. I saw a video of a mother who had lost her son to, her son was on drugs and, and addicted to, to drugs and had left the home so she went searching for her son and she found him on the street and when he saw his mother coming to him he began kind of running away from her she's running towards him and I can only imagine what she's yelling probably something along the lines of I love you I gave birth to you you're my son come home come home I can, we can help you. We know what's best for you. We love you. And here's a 20-something running away from the person that loves him the most. That's how shame works. I always say this. That's how good Satan is at lying. He's such a good liar that he'll have you running away from all the people that love you and would die for you. And you running towards everything that would ruin you and destroy you. He's that good of a liar. That's why there are times you have no other choice but to read the word of God. Remember, it's his word. Read his word. Obey his word. Follow his word. And he is pursuing us because we're family. Second thing really fast is this. Simply surrender. Simply Surrender. You know what? Our duty is relatively simple. Most of the time people think, I don't know what to do. Where do I go? Where do I start? What does God want me to do? I don't even know if I have the ability to do what he wants me to do. I don't know what to do. And people stress this whole thing, this relationship with God. It's nothing to stress. It's not about stress. It's about surrender. It's literally just about surrendering to him. Surrender the sin. Surrender the expectations. Surrender the disbelief. Surrender the rebellion. Surrender trying to control everybody and everything and all of your outcomes in life. Surrender the bitterness. Surrender the offense. Just surrender it. Stop overthinking everything and surrender it all to him. I spoke to a young man the other night, and he he looked at me with just utter... Discouragement in his face, and he said this, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I overthink and rethink everything. My mind never shuts off. I can't even sleep. I'm I'm gripped in fear. I'm worried about everything and every outcome of my life. I say, stop trying to carry all that load. And cast it onto him. Surrender your life over to him and trust him for whatever outcome, whatever it is he may bring into your life. Because whatever God brings into your life, I will guarantee you he means it for good. That's why Joseph can look at his brothers and say, yeah, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's why I keep going. That's why I'm not going to stop. That's why I'm not going to quit. So you surrender your will for his will. You surrender your worry for his will. You surrender your expectations for his will. And when a person, it's it's amazing. When a person would bring a sacrifice to the temple, the family would bring this lamb and they would bring this lamb in. And then the person that owned the lamb would place their hand on the forehead of the lamb. And surrender the lamb over. And by placing their hand on the forehead of the lamb, what they were basically doing was they were surrendering their right and their title and their interest in that lamb. They were giving that lamb completely over, surrendering it over. And I think when the Bible talks about our reasonable service, what do we do as priests with our sacrifice? It's when we get to the place in our life where we surrender the rights. And the title and the interests over our lives to God. And we say, God, all of it, lock, stock, and barrel, I give it over to you. And I trust you in everything, with every single aspect of my life. I don't think the characters in the Bible were superheroes. I think they were just surrendered. I don't think David was a superhero. That's why everybody looked at David and said, You're gonna get slaughtered, you're gonna die. It's going to be ugly. David said, "Eh, I'll go. Literally, all David said was this I'm available. I honestly believe that God is just looking for someone who will say, I'm available. I'll do it, I'll step in. And I think that's what God uses. Never underestimate the power of God to use a surrendered life. God can do anything with somebody who is surrendered. The fa- final thing is this when you offer yourself, it's a holy and acceptable offering. And the only reason I say that is because it's pretty easy for us to sit back and say, But you don't know how broken I am. You don't know how awful my life has been. My life has been a disaster, it's been a train wreck. I have made so many rotten choices in my life. I am wracked with so much guilt. I'm telling you right now, surrender yourself to him. It is a holy, it is an acceptable sacrifice. When I say holy and acceptable, I mean it puts a smile on the face of God ear to ear. He is so pleased with your surrender, no matter how broken your life is. Because the amazing thing about our God is he has the ability to put any broken anything back together again. He can heal anything because that's his, his power. Matthew Henry says this, the very thing that informs our judgments reforms our hearts and lives. Remember, all that doctrine that Paul spoke about in the first 11 chapters now results in a practical life change in your heart and in your life. And so... Again, it's very, very possible to be at peace with God and not walk in the peace of God. So I'm going to wrap with this verse. And then I'm going to have... The reason it's 10 minutes early is because it's crazy, number one. But number two, I wanted to have, I wanted to have a come-forward invitation. I wanted to have a come-forward rededication invitation. Years ago... We would always, you know, make, we would always be given an opportunity. No, I don't need to go forward to get saved. I'm already saved. The problem is my relationship with him is cold and it needs to be rededicated. The problem is my relationship with him is not where it should be and I don't want that anymore. As of today, that stops because I surrender my rights and I surrender my title. And I surrender all these different things, just like they put their hand on the forehead of the lamb. I'm surrendering myself over to him. Colossians 3.15 says this. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. We know the source. The source is Christ. And we know what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to rule. That's like the umpire that's standing back behind the catcher like this. Strike! They're making... Decisions based on this game that's happening in front of them, based on circumstances that are happening in front of them. And what God says is this, get, go to the source of peace, the prince of peace, get the peace, and then let that peace be the umpire in your life. Let that rule over all of the circumstances of your life. The disagreement that you have with your wife, the argument that you had with the dude in the cubicle next to you at work, the person that butt in front of you at Panera, Literally, whatever it is. There are lots of people that struggle with the line thing. The line thing. I need my distance. And I need you to stay behind me. Because that's where you were. And that's fair. You will not be in front of me. Do not even pretend to be next to me. You stand behind me. You know, whatever. I don't know. I'm getting into the psychosis of lines. But... All I'm saying is is let the peace of God... Christ rule in your hearts with all of these situations and then it says for as members of uh, for as members of one body you were called to live in peace and always always be thankful and I think conflict a lot of time is born out of things like insecurities I feel like you wronged me I feel like you hurt me you didn't even look at me the other day when we I was at Walmart and you didn't look at me I'm going to tell you, a lot of those things that cause us, uh, that are rooted in insecurity, aren't even true. And we let these things cause so much division. And we don't live in peace when Christ says, I'm the source of peace. Take this peace and let it rule as an umpire in all the circumstances of your life. Every single day. So, rededication. The word dedication means zeal. Loyalty, devotion, integrity, purpose. That's you basically saying this. I'm going to rededicate my zeal for him. I'm going to rededicate my loyalty, my devotion, my integrity, and my purpose for my God. And so what I want to do is this. What we'll do is we'll just have everyone stand. Let's all stand. And as we're standing... Our prayer team is going to be here at the front. Um, if you want to pray with anybody about anything about rededication, if you just want to come and pray on your own, I totally get that. If you want to pray where you are, I get that too, kind of, sort of. But I like, I like there's something about stepping out and making a decision and moving and confronting a fear. Yeah, but everybody's going to look at me. They're going to say, oh, well, he needs a cold relationship with God. Cold, 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 freezing cold mega whatever Celsius who cares if, if somebody's thinking that they're the ones that need to be up here everybody's going to rejoice in the fact that you're making a decision and moving and rededicating your life so if you want to rededicate your life to the Lord and then don't anybody leave because we always have to give salvation that's why this church exists so I'm going to give you the salvation prayer you know like I do all the time but if you want to join us here at the front right now, just everybody move. And just pray on your own. Pray with one of these prayer team folks or whatever it is. But right now from the back to the front, I don't care where you are. You're like, but this is a long way up there. I don't care. He doesn't see my face too far. The light's in his eyes. I don't care. Come on out. Come on out and pray. If you feel like rededicating your life. If you feel like, man, this relationship is cold, but it's not going to be that way any longer. I'm going to rededicate my life, surrender my rights, surrender the title, surrender all those things over to him. Would you come right now? And while they're coming, let me just say this. And praying, coming and praying, coming and praying. Let me just say this. There was a church that was spoken about in Revelation. The church at Ephesus. It only took the church at Ephesus about 30 years to get really, really cold when it came to their love. And so what did he say? He said, you've lost your first love. You've left your first love or lost your first love. I want you to rekindle that passion for me again. And he said to do three things. He said, remember how far I've brought you from. He said, redo the things you used to do in the past. And then he said, repent. He said, turn. Turn from that cold lifestyle and enter back into that warm, connected fellowship with me. So right now, I'll just give you time to pray. Forgive us, Lord, for running away from you when we thought you did something bad to us. You hurt us. You failed us. You never fail us. You are faithful. You are true. Every promise you make in your word, it is true. It will happen. If it comes out of your mouth, it's impossible for it not to happen. Help us to hold on to that. Help us, God, to turn our backs on the lies of the enemy. He's a liar. He wants nothing more for us to be destroyed. Help us to keep our eyes on the one that loves us the most. The one who has done so much for us already in our past. Thank you for Romans 12.1. What a verse. What an amazing, powerful verse. I pray, Lord, that we would never live in a position of peace with you and then not experience your peace on a daily basis. What a, what a awful, awful trade. What a cheap substitute. God, help us, Lord, to to live in that peace. May the the peace that comes from Christ rule in our hearts. May it rule. Thank you so much for these that have made the decision today to rededicate their lives to you, including myself. I I rededicate my life to you. I surrender to you. Sorry, Lord. I pray, God, that you would use us in mighty ways. Help us to depend on you and you alone. All the outcomes, everything, Lord. You're in control. We are safe. We are loved. We're accepted. Insecurity doesn't even make any sense. We're accepted by you. And I pray, God, that we would walk in that courage and that surrender. Jesus name you know Jesus loves you so much people always ask how much does Jesus love you I always say he loves you this much right he loves you enough to die on a cross God I talked about it at the staff Christmas dinner the other night I don't know how it happened how does God get into a human body there's a verse in Hebrews that says Jesus said this you prepared a body for me what kind of body was that that could literally house God. And it was a, there was a little bit of it revealed on the mountain of transfiguration when he peeled that back a little bit, that exterior, and they saw this massive bright light. We talked about how Moses couldn't even talk to people because his face was glowing because he saw God, the glory of God, just the back of him. But he did that for you and he died on the cross, willingly laid himself down to die. So he paid the debt, which is death, for sin. And if you'll believe in him and trust him, that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and three days later was raised up from the dead, he'll save your soul. He'll give you a home in heaven. He'll make you a part of his family. That'll never, ever be revoked because that gift will never be taken back. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. We know that now. So if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you a chance to do it right now. Why don't you just bow your heads and close your eyes and just pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to be in your family. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you paid my sin debt. I admit it, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry, I want forgiveness. I pray that you'd put my life back together. I pray that you'd save my soul. I believe that you were raised from the dead. I believe that you're a life giver. And so I give my life to you. And I pray that you would use me and mold me and shape me. And I pray, God, that I would glorify you. And our relationship would be incredibly intimate. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you accepted Christ, want to accept Christ, or just want to see what Park Valley Church is about, you can email us at info at parkvalleychurch.com. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.